We've had from a lot of schools that, oh, well, harmful sexual behaviour doesn't happen in our school. It does. You're just not listening or giving children the avenue to report what's going on. This is the Interface podcast from SWGFL, here to help teachers and education professionals support children and young people in all that they do online. This time, a fairly tricky topic, but definitely an important one. We've got expert guidance and support on dealing with harmful sexual behaviour. I think the first step for a lot of schools is to acknowledge that this behaviour is happening in their, in their setting, whether they're aware of it or not. Children as young as nine are inadvertently coming across porn online and parents need to be having those conversations because if the child sees something, they may well then Google it to find out more. A tricky subject and a sensitive one at that. So this is one that you probably don't want to listen to if you've got your own children around just at this moment. There will be some adult themes coming up later in the episode. Before we get into that, though, it's still early days on the podcast, isn't it, Gareth? So we should probably spend a bit of time setting out who we are and what the podcast is all about. Why don't you go first, Gareth? Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? Who am I? It's a very good question, Jess. Hi, my name is Gareth Court. I'm an online safety consultant for, for Southwest Good for Learning. I've uh, been working for them for a number of years and also knew them in a previous life when I worked for one of their partners, Childnet. I'm also a qualified primary school teacher. How about you, Jess? My name is Jess McBeth. I am also an online safety consultant. Worked with Southwest Good for yeah a number of years. And you know what is what is an online safety consultant? It's changed so much over the years, but it's all about empowering adults really to help kids live a good life online. That's that's the way I put it. So as you've heard already, we're from Southwest Good for Learning, one third of the UK Safer Internet Centre, alongside our partners Childnet and the Internet Watch Foundation. And we aim to work with and help and support teachers and the wider children's workforce to support the children and young people they work with to thrive and be happy in all that they do online. Uh, we're putting out an episode of this Interface podcast every month, and we'll be talking all about online life for young people, but particularly from the perspective of teachers and educators. And yes, perspectives are, are really important. And you'll hear a number of different perspectives from the experts that we invite on each episode of the podcast. But also for each episode of Interface, we're going to be joined by one of our four young adult co-hosts. And we've got Ailish, Bill, Morgan and Princess. It's so important to be able to hear young people's perspectives on these issues. And it's fantastic they can join us for these episodes. This time around, we're with Ailish Hunter. Ailish, how are you doing? I'm good. Hi. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Fabulous to have you here, Ailish. So can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I am 21 years old. I'm a student currently studying social sciences at uni right now, going into my final year and very much involved in online life since I was about 13 years old. So I've been doing this for a while now. <laughs> Not quite an expert like you, but... Definitely an expert. You are bringing your life experience and expertise. It's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much. So... This episode is all about harmful sexual behaviour. What did we think of the chat and the topic? What did everybody think? Uh, so, so I'll kick us off. I think one of the things that really struck me through the, the chat that you're going to hear throughout this episode was how vast an issue it can sometimes feel for, for you as an educator and what a small part of the solution you can sometimes feel like. But I think it's really important to remember that, that, that we all play a part in this solution, even if, though we feel like a really small part, we're all a very important part. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting seeing how many support lines there are out there and how easily you can access support for issues like this. I thought that was really important to take note of. 
Yeah, and it is. I think, like Gareth said, it's such a it's a complex, it's a nuanced topic, it's a difficult topic for people to talk about. And so, having the expertise of Carmel and Vicky, it's just. I mean, it's yeah. You could you could listen to them talk a lot longer. But anyway, we we have got an amazing episode. So maybe we, we should get into it. Here come Carmel Glassbrook from Southwest Grid for Learning's Harmful Sexual Behaviour Support Service, and the next voice you'll hear is Vicky Green from the Mary Collins Foundation. Mary Collins Foundation works to support young people who have been harmed through technology or through what we call technology-assisted child sexual abuse. We support children, young people, their families. We support professionals as well. And we try to raise the profile of the fact that you can recover. It is possible to recover. We will help you recover. So we're a victim and survivor informed charity. So we're going to be talking about harmful sexual behaviour. What is that? That's probably the first question, right? Let's have a definition. So Vicky, what is harmful sexual behaviour? It's a complex issue, but generally what it is, is it's a term that's used to describe sexual actions, activities that are outside what is safe for a young person's age and stage of development that can harm either the child themselves or the child that that behaviour is directed towards. So we can, you know, and it can include accessing inappropriate sexual material online, getting involved in sexual activities when they're not ready. There can be a whole range of activities that would cause your you to think this is not normal, this is harmful. And um, it can also include, you know, a, engaging in abusive and sexually violent behaviour either online or offline and where there's a power imbalance. I was quite surprised when I first started reading up about this because when you say harmful sexual behaviour, to me, I just initially thought it was from like high school times, it was someone sending a nude picture or yeah. it was the more harmful side of that was someone sharing it. The aftermath and consequences of someone who'd shared it with someone privately and then it got shared outside yeah. like groups and stuff like that. That's initially what I thought. It was only when I looked into it, I didn't realise... It ranged from the minor things. I say minor. It was the like the sexist name calling. It was the slut shaming. It was all that sort of stuff ranging to the extreme stuff, which was like pressuring you to do uh, acts you don't want to do with a partner or not even a partner. And it was, I never, I also never considered it with couples as well. It was quite eye opening to realize how many things harmful sexual behavior actually covers. And- and that's why I said it was so complex, Eilish, and it's actually understanding coercive control. We don't see it, do we? And I feel like a lot of young people don't realise what they're doing is coercive as well. You hear this, you hear the stories of young people feeling pressured to do things in, in their first ever relationship because they're like, because yeah. either the boyfriend wants to, because it's they're getting to the age, it's like, you have to have done something by this point. And it's more of like the pressure, especially young girls and even young boys to feel like they have to perform in a certain way to seem like a big macho guy, even though they're like 15 and no one's, you don't have to, that's not normal to feel like you have to be this like a grown up basically. At the age of yeah. early teens, it's quite scary, the pressure for young people at the moment from everything around them, from social media to porn to just school, like behaviour as well, it bigs everyone up. Also, a lot of the pressure is very heterocentric 
for those young people who are who are investigating their sexuality, considering themselves to possibly be bisexual or gay, there can be even more coercive control and abuse around those issues. I've definitely seen that, especially with young boys. There's all there's a much bigger stigma against young boys that are exploring their sexuality. Um, it's a lot more hidden, I found, in school than girls. I think girls can be a bit more open about it, but it's it's still anyone who was kind of in school that was not straight 100%. It was a lot more kind of like a, a topic to pick at for a lot of people. It was like a point of they could use it against them almost. And especially for young boys as well, I feel like that was the biggest if it wasn't them trying to be like a like a grown-up guy who's done all this, done all that, if it wasn't that, the other focus would be on their sexuality. If they hadn't got to an age and they hadn't done certain things, it must not be straight then if you haven't like done stuff with a girl or slept with someone or all that sort of stuff. I think, guys, that was definitely the next kind of talking point that was kind of pinned on them. So it was either you have to be a grown-up guy or maybe you're not straight, which is not the norm, yeah. which is a shame. Are these expectations new? Is this, all this stuff that we're talking about, is it is it a recent thing or, or is it just that, because we're talking about it now, it feels so current, there's been so much exposure of sexual harassment in schools, all kind of stuff like that. Is it just that we're uncovering what was always there or do you think that there's been some societal changes? No, I was just going to say, I think that, that this isn't new at all. I think that anyone working in an education with young people over a significant amount of time won't be surprised by the stuff that we're talking about now. It's it's mainly that it's kind of having its light shone on it and partly due to the Everyone's Invited website that was set up last year and the subsequent um, Ofsted report, you know, that kind of really started to shine a light and especially because there are reports of this sort of behaviour happening in private schools and I think, unfortunately, that really you know, rocked the boat for, for those in government that were then actually really shocked that, you know, this stuff isn't just happening amongst state school students, it's happening across young people, you know, over the board, which was perhaps why there was so much attention put on it, but maybe that's me being cynical. I, I thought it was really interesting, your point as well, Eilish, around boys especially questioning their sexuality, and I think that there's, we often see that in wide society there's a presumption that gay men are more promiscuous as well so there's that kind of opens up vulnerability for younger boys to then well if you are gay you must be going around doing all sorts and actually that's really scary I think for 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 the boys but also like the peers around them that just want to protect them and and make sure they aren't put in really vulnerable positions and actually we've seen so many cases in adults where a vulnerability has been exploited to the point where gay men have been kind of really seriously sexually assaulted on a grand scale and then it's not and it's ignored and it's not investigated properly by the authorities so I know that's kind of a bit off on a tangent with young people but I think it's really uh, an important point to note as well that have been within that LGBTQA community can lead to extra vulnerabilities around some of these behaviours as well. And I would say Jess that yes it is it's always been there. I totally echo what everybody's saying, but what I think the internet has emphasised, has put a magnifying glass on it, has made it even more complex for young people in terms of finding role models, finding information, understanding behaviours. So I think it's put young people under even more pressure 
in trying to understand how to behave. Do you think that's affected younger children? Because most of the examples we've been talking about here, I think, I think in our minds, we've mostly been thinking about teenagers or thereabouts. On the Harmful Sexual Behaviour Support Service that we launched in January, I think when we were planning that we were expecting most of our calls and cases to come from secondary schools and from older children. And actually we have seen quite a significant amount of cases come from primary schools and early year settings from from younger children. I think what would be important to note is that often when children are displaying those behaviours, they don't understand the impacts of them they don't necessarily know what it is that they're saying or doing it's they're purely repeating something that they have heard or seen and actually sometimes sadly we kind of enacting abuse that has been perpetrated against them I think there's a really significant difference in the motivations between younger people displaying this behavior and I mean young young children and kind of the older age bracket. So the Children's Commissioner for England published a report, didn't they, back into 2021, where they were where they interviewed lots of young people of various ages, and they said that one of the recommendations was the need to to teach younger children around about age eight or nine around po- issues around pornography and sexting. And we, you know, we professionally have seen this over the last decade, haven't we? It's just the the age around particularly things like sexting has just come down and down and down and down. As a former primary school teacher. If I hadn't been working in this area for about a decade now, that would fill me with a huge amount of trepidation about how on earth I talk to, say, eight and nine-year-olds around, you know, really sensitive issues like sexting or around the nature of online pornography. Is, is that something you think that, A, that needs to happen, or and B, is, is something that can be achieved? Absolutely. I, I think that's, you know, and yes, I can understand that it adds, <laughs> as a primary school teacher, it's probably the last thing you want to add to your to-do list. But I think that there's been several surveys and reports done into the sex and relationships education in this country. And it's um, the curriculum is, it doesn't really fit the bill. There isn't enough. And actually throughout that, there's been lots of recommendations that it isn't necessarily subject teachers that are delivering this kind of information that the, and that schools draft in help from specialist organisations that are actually designed to have those conversations and, and do those lessons with young people. But I think it's not about necessarily, right, today we're going to talk about porn. It's about embedding information and learning about healthy relationships throughout the whole curriculum and, and not necessarily having just one day or year that you talk about all the nasty stuff and then it, you know, gets forgotten or you, you could imagine the conversations when all the kids go home from school what did you learn about today well today mummy <laughs> which was where I was going to come in Gareth actually was saying it's not just schools it's actually parents and equipping parents with the right language now I know Elish, you're going to come in and say the last person in the world I wanted to talk to about porn was my mum or dad I, I can hear it I'm not really talking about your sort of age group I'm talking about much younger you're recognising that, I'm sure the age has probably dropped, but they were quoting that children as young as nine are inadvertently coming across inappropriate porn online. Well, porn is inappropriate for that age group. And parents need to be having those conversations because if the child sees something, they may well then Google it to find out more and then start on a road that we wouldn't want young people to go on. So how do you think parents can... Don't mean to put you on the spot, Eilish, but have you any ideas about how you think parents could have those conversations or should be having those conversations? This is you reversed the interview, Vicky. This is definitely <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. No, I am. Um, I think um, when I was about twelve is when Snapchat 
uh, first ever started. And I remember asking my parents and they had to Google it, what it was. And I was like, oh, you just you just text your friends back and forth. And then when like the photo aspect and like stories got introduced, they were more like, what's this? And like they Googled it as well. And they looked up the terms and conditions that you legally had to be 13 to get things like Instagram and Facebook and parents need to not necessarily sit them down and have a conversation it's more of just like little reminders of like oh careful that's on the internet forever like just subtly introducing that the internet is forever and so like you need to be aware of the things you say what you post I don't think you need to have like a sit down and be like this is porn and you stay away from it because that's just going to make them want to look at it more of course because they're not going to understand it so it's just I think it's so difficult especially with the porn aspect because it's so easily accessed I hate to be the person to be like you need internet restrictions and like every website blocked because they'll just find it somewhere else I think there's there's added complexity online isn't there because they're well the same as in society the sexualized themes and, and motifs and stuff that float around society and the internet is no different so i'm just thinking about me as a parent i've got a 10 year old son who's recently been diagnosed with autism and he loves watching like meme compilations on youtube absolutely loves it and some of the content in that you, you just kind of it's quite near the knuckle but then there are certain th- things like they'll throw around the word the, the number 69 and he has no concept at all of what that number is and lots of people online when they when they kind of skirt around talking about what this number actually is they just call it the funny number but it's really it's really kind of interesting because he's kind of quizzed me on this a few times and trying to engage in a discussion about that particular number and that meaning in the context of sexual behavior has been really difficult because he at present partly because of his age but also because of his needs he has no concept really of sexual relationships between people it just it doesn't it's not on his radar so it's it's really challenging. I can see the challenge for parents, but also teachers as well, of how, how you introduce these themes and how you talk about them in a way that's relevant. And I think what you're saying there, Aish, is really important. It needs to be, it needs to be directly related to what their, their experiences are. You need to tie in those discussions that way rather than plonking them down and saying, well, this is sex and how it works, and here's pornography, and this is what sexting is. It needs to be tied much more closer, I think, to their experiences. You've raised a really interesting point there, Gareth, about young people with autism, young people with learning difficulties or disabilities, they are overrepresented in young people who are displaying sexually harmful behaviour or harmful sexual behaviour. There's something around us understanding the message, how we communicate with young people with learning disabilities, creating an environment, whether that be in the school or in the home, where a young person can come up and say, Dad, what does 69 mean? And you then think and grapple in a very open way about how to explain to your your child what that is. Because if they don't, if you don't, they will go and they will Google it and then that will take them down the routes. And not because they've seen it and witnessed behaviours online, for example, or, or seen it role modelled within their homes. Let's not forget most sexual abuse happens within the home. They don't see anything wrong with actually going out and enacting it then in a social situation. And that's when they can end up be, or even enacting it online, they can end up inadvertently being labelled as a perpetrator of harmful sexual behaviour. 
it's a really tricky area to try and help and resource for. I remember, so we did, uh, we have a resource called So You Got Naked Online, which is a really non-judgmental response to sexting. It kind of just accepts that the, the that it's happened and, and these are kind of some tools and, and things you can put in place to help. And it's for young people and it's always been really popular. And from working on the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, I saw a real need and gap for resourcing for sexting around SEND as well, especially children on the autistic spectrum prolifically sending images or requesting them and not understanding the social cues around it and so we decided to do an adaption of so you got naked online for the cohort of children and it was the most challenging piece of work I've ever done because we're so used to being quite liberal with with children and, and not wanting to tell them exactly what to do and letting them make up their own minds but and not judging them what we found actually with the adaption was that we had to be really clear it is against the law you should not do this you know, making changing those kind of ideals into more direct instructions, which really kind of, you know, is in, in conflict to how we usually approach children about these topics. And so it's a really challenging area. But we, as, as Vicky said, on the Harmful Sexual Behaviour Support Service, those children are unfortunately over kind of represented in, in displaying these uh, harmful sexual behaviours. So more work to be done, definitely, in that kind of mm, area. There's definitely no one-size-fits-all approach. We'll be back with Carmel and Vicky after this. The Interface podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life. And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is Posh the Professionals Online Safety Helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety, There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available and it's free. Free is always good. And you're right, Jess, it is a lot. And I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this. So don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are. You can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at swgfl.org underscore official also we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the interface series that you'll find in your podcast player and we're back with the second half of interface a teacher's guide to online safety and well-being from southwest grid one third of the uk safer internet center this is ailish here with online safety consultants jess Macbeth and gareth court Thanks, Ailish. And still joining us on the uh, really important subject of harmful sexual behaviour are the fantastic Vicky Green from the Mary Collins Foundation and our own wonderful Carmel Glassbrook from Southwest Good for Learning. Practically then, like what, so what are the strategies? What are the resources that educators can be using either at primary or at secondary or with a cohort of, of young people, you know, with additional needs or, or kind of other vulnerabilities. 
I think the first step for a lot of schools is to acknowledge that this behaviour is happening in their in their setting, whether they're aware of it or not. We've heard from a lot of schools that, oh, well, harmful sexual behaviour doesn't happen in our school. It does. You're just not listening or giving children the avenue to report what's going on. So I think that that's kind of like the first step to acknowledge. Um, we've had some really progressive ideas from some schools that have decided actually to do surveys amongst their students to understand the scale of the problem in their school and what their children would like more help with. That gives you like a really good kind of starting point to know where, what you need to do to tackle some of these issues. Um, training staff, you know, I think there's a real, we've heard through the helpline and the support service that there's a real lack of training either available or funded for um, staff to help recognise the issues uh, and the behaviours and then subsequently deal with them. There is a lot of training available, but some of it's behind a paywall, which I think can create a bit of an access issue there as well. And I think even reviewing policy sets, making sure that whole school community is involved in tackling the issue and aware of it. So that means including parents, dinner ladies, everyone. Um, but I think as well, even with all of that groundwork, it's about creating an, uh, a nurturing environment for your students so that they can feel comfortable and supported if they do come and disclose something to you and that you're not going to overreact, they're not going to get in trouble and that they're just going to help get the help that they need. I think as well, it's about saying you're not alone. Most teachers go into the profession because they want to teach. And what we're asking them to do with this is actually like be a psychologist, social worker, all rolled into one. And um, that can be daunting. And if you're afraid that you won't be, know how to deal with it, you will then stop seeing it. So sometimes we don't respond because we don't know how to respond or we're worried about responding because it's going to give us a shed load of work and we're already overwhelmed with the work. And that's where the the Harmful Sexual Behaviour Support Service really comes into its own in terms of being able to say you're not on your own and giving them the facility to talk it through and think about where to start and um, you know, where they can get help from, where they can get support from. And I feel for teachers. I think we ask an awful lot of teachers. Schools are usually the safe place, though Ofsted would say otherwise from their, their thematic review that unfortunately for not all children it is a safe place but it's usually the safe place so it's about working with the whole school community and working with other agencies really to create that safe place and starting that by listening to the young people that are in the school listening to what they have to say. With sometimes personal issues in high school, I often felt better to go to a teacher or like a pupil support over talking to my parents. There were certain teachers that you just, you could have conversations with and you felt more comfortable and less judgment from because it's not someone you know as personally as your parents and also your parents, they obviously want the best, but there's also that emotional aspect attached to it. So you're scared if you told them something happened, that there's going to be that instant judgment, they're going to be mad, the disappointment. No, I definitely agree. I think if teachers had more training or just an understanding of these sort of things, I think it would make a massive difference for young people, especially just to feel comfortable enough to mention it 
or feel like they can mention it. But also, I guess, training for teachers to be able to spot it as well, because as, as much, and it's fantastic, Aisha, you had you had teachers that you felt you could go to talk to, but but we know for young people, particularly at secondary, teachers aren't always their first port of call. It may well be a best friend. It might be a parent and a carer. Teachers sometimes end up quite far, far down the list. So is it is it about training and, and helping everyone to recognise you know red flags and and signs of unhealthy behaviors and and know how to how to sort of manage that or take action on that when they see it is that is that the key do we think i think it's part of it i think it's part of your bunch of keys because certainly for older young people as well and um, they're saying that they want the tools to be able to recognize and see it in their peers to actually understand grooming behavior coercion and control and very often we, we focus all our efforts on e-safety with young people. I'm not saying that that doesn't have its place. That's one of your keys. But the other key is actually talking about grooming manipulative behaviours by others towards you and how to recognise that or how to recognise it in somebody else. So I think it's certainly training is a key thing. But I think it's across the whole community of the school. And that's a great that's a great example, isn't it? Because actually, if you're being groomed, you, you don't know you're being groomed. That's how it works. It relies on other people around you to spot that behaviour and take action to, to help protect you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really good point. I think it's also about recognising that these behaviours rarely happen in isolation. So rather than focusing on the one kind of harmful sexual behaviour that they might have displayed, actually, what else is going on in that young person's life and what are the wider safeguarding potentially concerns that we need to be looking at and trying to see that more holistically than just focusing on that one bad thing that that child did. We do know that children who are, you know, who are displaying sexually harmful sexual behaviour, a significant number of them have experienced abuse themselves, some form of abuse. And that's why, as Carmel said, it's looking at the wider safeguarding issues is so important that we just don't hone in on the presenting behaviour. Do you think, and I'm just curious, and and this is a chance for us to be critical of our, of particularly for Jess and I, our own area of, of expertise, if you like. Do you think that our approach in online safety generally needs needs to change in order to better suit education around this? So, I'll give you an example. There was some great research back end of 2019 around uh, suggesting maybe or not it's time to start teaching young people how to safe sext. So rather than suggesting that abstinence is just going to solve all these problems, maybe it's more about giving them the tools and the strategies to do this in a safer way. And and when you read it, it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you think about sex education generally, when we talk to young people about sexual relationships, we don't say don't do it. We talk about ways that you can do it in a safer way and the things that you need to watch out for and the things you need to consider and you know the, how it affects your emotions and everything else. And when it comes to sexting, a number of the messages are out there are kind of like, well, the safest way of, of avoiding the issues around it is just don't do it. But that's not really very helpful. No, that's really like quite archaic messaging really as well. I think certainly that there's a lot of education around online safety and I think harm, uh, healthy relationships focuses on harm, which of course is important to like educate around. But then there's also um, a big gap in, you know, what's good and how to in, uh, how to enjoy your online life particularly you know healthy boundaries and stuff and the same with relationships we do teach a lot about safe sex so how to wear a condom and how not to get pregnant but we don't teach much about pleasure and what good 
healthy relationship should feel like, what an example of a nice loving relationship is and I think also those sorts of conversations need to start happening much earlier in the school life so that it's kind of by the by if we're starting to talk about that in year eight or year nine it's a bit too late in my opinion. Is it an irrational fear then from schools that that they think that if they talk about these things more openly that they they're worried they're going to inadvertently promote more young people to go away and actually try these things at at an earlier age Is, is that what it is? Possibly. I think there's also just a general ickiness around talking about sex with young people. We don't. Well, that's that's a British thing, can't you know, Well, I think it, that's a, it's a wider worldwide society thing as well. We don't like to see that young people are kind of sexual beings and that's, you know, really difficult for us to kind of get over. But we need to get over it in order to um, actually safeguard them properly. So, yeah, I mean, that's like such a huge <laughs> bridge to cross, I think, especially in, in Britain. But um, I think that, you know, those sorts of conversations and pathways are starting to be made now um, especially with all this light uh, and attention around harmful sexual behavior most recently and i think it it's it, it, so we had this with the aids outbreak way back before any of you i think were were professionally working i'm i'm the old dinosaur in the room but part of the of our response when the aids numbers were going through the roof was handing out condoms and we were accused by the public of encouraging underage sex. And our response was, no, it's happening. We're reducing the likelihood of harm. And it is about turning this round into a public health model where it's about recognising what's happening and then reducing the likelihood of it causing any ongoing harm. So we know kids are having sex. We want them to have protected sex to reduce the likelihood we're not going out telling young people to have sex. We're saying, if you are, please do it safely. So the messages around the online world or e-safety need to follow that sort of public health model. You know, if you do do this, come to us. We'll not judge you. We understand, you know, part of, of, of sexting is part of sexual curiosity and developing. It's the modern version of Behind the Bike Shed. It is happening if it does happen, don't feel that I'll judge you. Come to me and I'll sort it out with you. We will work together to solve whatever has happened as a result of it. Because we know a lot of sexting happens and nothing goes wrong. It's absolutely fine. We only get to hear the ones that do go wrong because that's when people are seeking help. And so they should be seeking help. That's what we're here for. I do honestly think the most important message is you're not on your own. Don't be afraid. Sometimes we can talk about all the harms, all the risks, and that can then just make us scared and impotent, not knowing how to respond, not knowing how to act. There are lots of good things happening to reduce the likelihood of harm. There's lots of interventions that we can do, talking to young people, young people being empowered. We do need to challenge the kind of sexist attitudes that are out there. We do need to challenge the messaging, the subliminal messaging that starts from a very early age. The everyone's invited and the Me Too movements have raised profiles. We need to keep those profiles raised in a positive way and not be overwhelmed. You're not going to make a situation worse by asking. 
I think that, that often is quite a big fear for us. If I ask, I'm going to unbottle a load of, you're not going to make it worse. If you can support that young person, even if it's just by listening for now, then you're doing a great job. Um, and use the services and tools that are available to you. We have the Harmful Sexual Behaviour Support Service. You can call it Monday to Friday. You can speak with a professional about these issues. It's really that simple. And, and beyond that as well, there's so many online tools and resources that you can use to help educate yourself and the professionals around you to help kind of ease the pressure when, when it comes to dealing with these things. It's been absolutely amazing to have both Carmel Glassbook and Vicky Green with us for this episode. They've given us so much information and expert advice. I really hope you found it useful and helpful. I definitely have on this episode. At the very least, you now know places that you can get help and advice and support as a teacher if you do need it in this area. Yeah, let's just go through those actually where you can get support. So the Mary Collins Foundation, brilliant organisation. And the website is mariecollinsfoundation.org.uk. And uh, as you heard Carmel talking about, our own harmful sexual behaviour support service that we run here at Southwest Good for Learning is specifically for teachers and professionals working with children and young people. It's there for you so please do make use of that service if you have any concerns. Of course links to both these places are in the show notes for this episode. We'll be back next time with chats about ransomware, hackers, scams and cybersecurity. All that means or could mean for teachers. Make sure you subscribe to ensure that episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. We'd also love you to follow us on social media. We're at SWGFL underscore official on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. We have been Jess Macbeth, Gareth Court and Ailish Hunter. Interface is a podcast series from Southwest Grid for Learning, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre. It's produced by Karis Wall with sound design by Joel Cox. It's a bespoken media production. Produced by Bespoken Media.